Gavin Ashenden is a prominent convert to the Catholic faith in England, uh, having previously been a bishop in the Church of England and a chaplain to Queen Elizabeth II, and he now writes and is on, uh, on public media, t- television, etc., doing a great apologetic for the Catholic faith. He's a layman in the church now. And in a recent article in a journal called Christian Today, he recalls the experience of being arrested and interrogated by the KGB for Bible smuggling in Moscow in the 1980s. And he said, the experience left a memory of a taste or a smell, as if demonic spirits have an odor about them, corrosive, rusty, and unforgettable. And then he moves on to around 2003, some 20 years later, when as a chaplain and teacher at a progressive British university, still as an Anglican cleric, of course, he smelt and tasted that odoriferous memory of Moscow again. He said that it came to him out of nowhere. I was shaken. I saw something I thought was defeated and dead, morphing back in an altered form. I suddenly saw a political and philosophical movement reconfiguring itself and preparing an assault on freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, an assault on Christian ethics lapping like a tide around our ankles. He says how he saw the tide coming in as a movement, and he's referring to the movement for same-sex marriage, as a movement that pretended equality but had ambitions to destroy Christian sexual and social ethics which would lead to Christians being persecuted for believing that heterosexual marriage is the glue that God intended to hold our communities together. Ashenden is here describing the foul nature of the devil, and he seems to have felt as if he had a personal encounter with that evil one at that moment when he went back to that British university, as he had in Moscow. The foul nature of the devil and his ability to deceive and capture a whole civilization, to bring it under his dominion, disguising slavery under the appearance of freedom and autonomy, a slavery that will lead to the destruction of humanity. Now why would the devil and his angels wish to destroy us? Because they hate us and they're jealous of us. The devil was a member of the highest rank of angelic creatures, one of the seraphim, And the word seraphim means fiery. And as well as heat, it evokes the idea of intense light, which is why his name is Lucifer, an angel of light, a light bearer. When it was revealed to him that the plan of creation included God becoming man, and that he, along with the rest of creation, would be required to worship this man and to serve him, He rebelled, and together with the other rebellious angels whom we collectively call devils, not only declared a non-servium, I will not serve, but also set out on a search and destroy mission of the human race and the beautiful creation of which mankind was the pinnacle, crowning glory, and steward. Ultimately, what St. John Paul II referred to as the culture of death is what this search and destroy mission is about, procuring the death, the ruination, whether spiritual or physical, of mankind. And we see this deceit right at the beginning of the book of Genesis. As the serpent, who was the most cunning of all the animals, beguiled our first mother Eve, telling her, you certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's 
you who know good and evil. And indeed their eyes were opened. They had to sew fig leaves together in a pathetic attempt to clothe themselves so that the man and the woman would not, with their newly opened eyes, be able to gaze upon those most intimate parts of the body related to the generation of the human species. Isn't that interesting? By the opening eyes. How many people go around unable to control their sight? How many things do we see that we should not see? Modern parlance speaks of things that cannot be unseen. They make such a powerful impression upon our imaginations and our memory. Particularly those things that involve impurity. You know, I, I, I've never had to control my sight as much as I do now when I drive up and down the I-5. No, because I do not want to see certain kind of shops. Right, you can put the word in if you know what it is. And anyone with a smartphone or a computer needs to exercise a careful control over their sight. Custody of the eyes. We do not want things, certain things to get in there. Custody of the eyes is something not only for the religious, but for all of us. And speaking of odor, we also have the ever-growing presence of a certain weed in our society. The billboards are all up and down the, the, the interstate as well. And the, its odor is often hanging in the air that we breathe. For which I hope that you as parents would want to protect your children and warn them, of it, warn them of its dangers. The effects of the tragic fall of our first parents are seen in the prophecy of Isaiah. Poverty, injustice, affliction, ruthlessness, wickedness, cruelty. And humanity finds itself powerless to free itself from the grip of the one whose deceit resulted in banishment from paradise. This is the sense of the gift of despair that is mentioned in the bulletin inserts today for this second of those series of, of uh, proclamatory homilies on creation being captured, rescued and our response. Because that gift of despair helps us to understand that we are powerless to free ourselves from this captivity, that we cannot fight the powers of evil in this spiritual warfare unaided. We're in need of rescue, in need of a saviour. And right from the beginning, immediately after the fall, God promises that a rescuer would come to snatch us from captivity uh, to the devil. The seed or offspring of the woman, namely Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent, not without experiencing a bruising by his passion and death on the cross. But the deceits of the devil would be exposed and the power of freedom from slavery given to us by grace. The books of the Bible describe the constant battle between good and evil, the spiritual battle between God and the devil, as the chosen people alternately embrace and then break their covenants with God, falling into idolatry and suffering the consequences. And the prophets and Psalms express a yearning for and a promise of rescue, a hope in one who will rise from the stump of Jesse, a descendant of David, upon whom the Spirit of the Lord shall rest, and who will lead people out of captivity to a holy mountain, where there shall be no harm or ruin, but only knowledge of the Lord. And even the Gentiles shall seek this mountain, the glorious dwelling of the Lord, which is the church. The promise is fulfilled in Christ, whose birth we are preparing to celebrate once again, and yet we are all too aware that this idyllic, this idyllic image of peaceful coexistence that is in the prophecy of Isaiah between all the species of creation seems a long way from being fulfilled. 
But perhaps rather than the literal uh, imagery there, we need to look at what it means for us that there are lions and wolves and bears and cobras and other things in our hearts, in our lives. And maybe even within our community, and maybe we're sometimes those wolves and lions and cobras who frighten the lambs, the kids, and the children, and divide. So St. Paul urges us to keep reading the Bible so that we might not despair, but rather have hope by the encouragement that the Scriptures offer us. Through acceptance of his word, God gives us the endurance and the encouragement, so that at least we and the church in keeping with Christ Jesus, might think in harmony with one another, might glorify God with one voice, so that all enmity between one person and another in the Christian community might be removed, that we might welcome and honor one another rather than erecting barriers between ourselves and others in the church. And for this to happen, there must be an honest acknowledgement of our sins and a readiness to admit and confess that we have freely, and perhaps stupidly, fallen for the deceits of the enemy. We have preferred the foul odour of Satan to the pure air, air of the breath of God. And Advent is a time for us to be like those who went out, as we read in the Gospel, to John the Baptist, to be baptised by him as they acknowledge and confess their sins. We too must go out from our places of desolation, or pride, or hurts, and confess our sins in the sacrament of reconciliation and confession, so that the purity of our baptismal garment may be restored. You know, the confession of our sins, I think, is the way that we, as the offering of Mary, offspring of Mary, crush the head of the serpent.